Well, good evening, church family. Hey, this is a great, great place to be tonight. We're going to have some fun tonight. Is that all right? Okay, good. To start you off tonight, I want to, I want to share a story that I heard recently <clears throat> about a paramedic. A paramedic was asked on a local TV talk show, what was your most unusual and challenging 911 emergency call? And the paramedic began, well, recently we got a call from that big church on 11th and Pine. A frantic usher was very concerned that during the worship service, an elderly man passed out in a pew and appeared to be dead. The usher could find no pulse and there was no noticeable breathing. What was so unusual and demanding about that particular call, the interview asked. Well, the paramedic said, we carried out 16 people before we actually found the one who was dead. <laughs> now, sometimes God's people need revival, right? We need renewal sometimes, don't we? Yes, we do. I say to a semi-quiet room. But that's okay. We're going to get more and more excited as we go tonight. We are back in Nehemiah tonight where we see, actually tonight in chapter 8 of Nehemiah, one of the most beautiful pictures of renewal of God's people in the entire Old Testament. So if you haven't uh, opened your Bibles yet, you know where we are, Nehemiah chapter 8. If you're using the Bible in front of you in the chair, that's page 403. And if you want to take out the sermon notes or turn them on on the app, now's a good time to do that if those help you follow along. Just a little bit of review in case you haven't been around for the whole series. Nehemiah is broken up basically into two phases. The first phase is chapters 1 through 6, where the nation of Israel was coming out of two generations in captivity, and they rebuilt the city, they rebuilt the wall around the city to make it function as a city again. That was a rebuilding theme, and we learned so many life lessons from those messages Phase two then began last week. Pastor Jim kicked it off. It's more renewing the people now that the walls were rebuilt. And last week in chapter seven, we saw that God's work of renewal requires faithful, God-fearing leadership and faithful, humble, willing servants. There's a responsibility and a role for every single one of us in God's people for renewal to happen. Every single one of us. Today in chapter eight, we see the next step in God's renewal process of a people. And it is a joyful renewal. A joyful renewal. We'll see tonight that God's people are renewed through his word and through worship. In fact, every spiritual revival in history has included the proclamation of God's word and the worshipful active response of the people to some extent. That's the way the Holy Spirit works, through the proclamation of his word and through the active response, the worship of God's people. There's a saying about modern man, though. Modern man, they say, worships his work, works at his play, and plays at his worship. And that's backwards. And tonight, we're going to try to straighten that out a little bit. Because many people go to church their whole lives and never experience the joy of being renewed in Jesus. Let's not make that characterize Lake City Community Church, but let's all enter the joy of the Lord tonight together. So the first component of that spiritual renewal that we want at Lake City is God's Word, the Bible, which is the foundation and authority of our lives as God's people for all matters. That's the first point. We need renewal through God's Word. Through God's Word. <clears throat> 
After those many years in captivity, two generations of captivity, the people's knowledge of the law of God, of the word of God, was almost non-existent. They had fallen far away. They had been broken people. And their knowledge of scripture was sorely lacking. But they recognized that. And if their city that they just rebuilt was to remain strong and free and alive, more was needed than just walls and security measures and safety and free trade. More was needed than that. They wanted to hear from God. They wanted to know God and be his people again. And worship the one who had been with them as they returned and rebuilt the city. They wanted to know him now. They wanted to come to him. And so they desired God's word. And that's where our renewal begins, through desiring God's word. Desiring God's word, if you're writing that on your notes. Let's look at the first couple verses. We're actually going to start at the end of verse 73, right before chapter 8. Because that helps sets the context of where we are, where the people are in this scene. That sentence begins, And when the seventh month had come, the people of Israel were in their towns. Now, chapter 8, verse 1. And all the people gathered, all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So the seventh month is where we are in the calendar right then. The seventh month happens to be the biggest month in Israel's calendar, the biggest month of their feasts and festivals each year. They celebrated in this month the Feast of the Trumpets on the first day of that month, the Day of Atonement on the 10th day of that month, and the Feast of Tabernacles from the 15th to the 21st day of the month. It was a seven-day feast, and we're going to talk about that later tonight. This was a great month to start learning and relearning the Word of God. So hold on to that context. Now verse 1 says they came together as one man. They were unified. They were pumped. They really desired to hear the word of God. Notice that it was the people. It wasn't Nehemiah or any of the leaders that called the people. It was the people. They told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law. Bring it to us. They came together as one man. They called on their main man, Ezra, to teach them the word of God. And they wanted it. They desired it. And we see that our renewal comes next through receiving that word. Okay, we want to want it. We desire it. Now we have to receive it. Lord, give us open hearts to receive your word. We find that in verses 2 and 3. They wanted to receive God's word. They were ready. Let's look at verses 2 and 3. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people, all the people were attentive to the book of the law. All the people came, men and women, and it says twice, all those who could understand. The guess is there, that's kids who could understand, probably about four years up, four years old and up. They wanted to hear the word. This is one great thing about a church like ours who wants to be a church family. There's a lot of churches in our country that want to keep the kids out of the worship service. We say, bring them in. 
Bring them in. They need to be worshiping with dad and mom and grandparents and friends right here. So as soon as they're ready, bring them in. Bring them in. And let's worship together. And that will incidentally keep them from leaving if they're a part of our church when they get older. All right, so we see then that they read from early morning to midday. That's about five or six hours. They listened to the reading, the preaching of the word. Hey, whatever happened to the five, six-hour sermon? <laughs> uh, I'll get back to that, actually. But that shows you that they were hungry. They were hungry. Brothers and sisters, let's be hungry for the word of God, the authority, foundation, and life of giving word that we have. Then we see in verses 4 through 6 that they respected the word of God. We need to desire it, want it, and respect it. Let's see how they did that. Verses 4 through 6. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood... Now, they built this wooden platform. They respected the word. And this is a big deal. So Ezra's got all these men around him. And I thought about skipping this list of names, but I practiced it instead. I don't want to skip any words here. So here we go. Visualize the scene. Ezra's on the platform, and with, standing with him are these, these men. And beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Maasiah on his right hand, and Padiah, Mishael, Malkijah, Hashem, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. <laughs> Hashbadana, that was, that was a tough one. But visualize the scene, okay? This is a powerful scene. Verse 5. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Let's talk about what we just read here. Ezra is a public reader, but others assist. There's a public reading of the scripture. Ezra stood on the platform above the people so that they could see him and so they could hear him and so they wouldn't miss anything in the word. The people stood to show respect. That was common in that culture. The amens, amens affirmed that they were listening and agreeing, and then the uplifted palms show dependence on God, right? And then bowing with faces to the ground show their reverence to God and their willing submission to his authority. Now, this was a more expressive worship service than we typically have here, and that's okay. We are who we are, and everybody worships God differently. But I just want to say there's nothing wrong with showing emotion, when you're entering the word of God and with his people, okay? God is the author of all these emotions. He made us in his image because he has these emotions. Go ahead and, and let them show in your worship. There's nothing wrong with seeing some of that emotions and hearing some of those amens out there, right? Amen? Amen. amen. Now all week at our nighttime prayers at home this week, we've been praying with our hands up and I've had the girls say amen, amen to everything that they agree with. It's been fun, hasn't it? <laughs> it's been fun this is great 
uh, there's, a, there's a spiritual renewal in the process here. Do you see? Are we connecting with it tonight? We need to receive God's word. We need to respect God's word. We want to understand it is next. Not just hear it, but understand it. Let's see what happens next in verses 7 and 8. <clears throat> More names. Also, Jeshua, Bonnie, Sherebiah, Jamin, that's our family's favorite, uh, Akub, Shabbatai, Hadiah, uh, Messiah, Kelita, Azariah, Jezebed, Hanan, Peliah, and the Levites. Now, what did all these guys do? Here's what they did. They helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. So off they went. They had little small group meetings all throughout to help the people understand what Ezra was reading. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. Now this is a pretty fascinating service. Others are assisting Ezra as he's reading the word. They're down there making sure that people are understanding what they read. There's some language barriers, there's some custom barriers, there's some theological barriers, and they're understanding. Now, I think a six-hour service with a whole bunch of small group leaders working the crowds, that would be pretty fun. It'd be chaotic, but it would be pretty fun, I think. But here's the thing. I'm not going to knock our 30 to 40-minute sermons. You know why? Because they fit our cultural context. All right, they do. And here's how we have Here's how we do God's word, the study of God's word, the worship in God's word. We have our sermons and worship services on the weekends, okay? But if that's all you do, that's not really getting deep into the word, all right? That's not really the, the entire Christian experience here. So we have a lot of relational, smaller groups, small groups, classes, Bible studies, discipleship groups. We give out Bibles. We give out reading plans. We hold each other accountable to be in the Word alone and with your family daily, every day. This is the Word of God. I have a goal in our family that my kids will see an open Bible at some point every day. Every day. This is why you need to be in some of those things because we want to receive and understand the word of God because spiritual renewal comes from being in the word of God and understanding it. This hunger, this desire, this respect for reading and studying and discipling in God's word is necessary if we want any kind of spiritual renewal in our lives. This is the tool that the Holy Spirit works through. If you want any kind of renewal, if you want any kind of assurance or peace or growth in your life or abundant life, it comes from the Word of God. And the reason for study is because it's a big book. And it's timeless, but it's also ancient. And it's always relevant, no matter what. But it's complex. And it takes a lifetime journey to start really understanding it and the depths of it. And we fail and make mistakes and sin a lot along the way as we're growing in it. And that's okay because God is a gracious and patient God. And he walks with us and he tells us to walk with each other through the process of growing in his word on a way to a spiritual renewal. Will we be faithful to him? 
Will you be faithful to this journey? So that's the first part of chapter 8. It's shown us that renewal comes from God's word, wanting it, understanding it, walking through it together. You want answers. You want peace. You want life. Renewal comes from God's word. There has never been a spiritual renewal without the proclamation and studying and obeying of God's word. Now, the second part of chapter 8, we're going to focus on worship. We need renewal through worship. Now, interestingly, we're Western linear thinkers, but I want you to, with this outline, to realize that worship had already been taking place. They were bowing on their ground. They were raising their hands, and they were studying the word together. It had already been taking place, but we're going to focus more on it. And the study of God's word is also going to continue. So see this as, as, a, as, a, as a total picture here, not five easy steps to something. We need re- renewal, though, through our worship. And the, the text in chapter 8 focuses on two types, two aspects of worship. The first is emotional worship. Emotional worship. And in emotional worship, we see in this text two emotions. First is the emotion of mourning, grieving, sorrow. Let's see what happens in the leader's response. Verse 9. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to the people, they realized something as they were preaching, teaching, proclaiming the word. They said this, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. This was a renewal happening. And they were weeping and grieving as they heard Scripture with new eyes for the first time. The people were touched by Scriptures and they mourned because they realized through the Word, the convicting work of the Word, how much their sins had affected other people, how much their sins had affected themselves, how much their sins had affected God. And they were grieved by that. But Psalm 51 says, a broken spirit and a contrite heart, God will not despise. God's law convicts, and that's a good thing, and it leads us to repentance, and that's a necessary thing. But God doesn't just leave it there. Repentance comes, after repentance comes the next emotion, and that's the emotion of joy. Nehemiah, Ezra, and the Levites led the people away from their grieving, right smack into the emotion of joy. Joyful renewal, joyful worship, verses 10 through 12. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord, and do not be grieved. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. Conviction leads to repentance. Repentance leads to joy And we need to be totally free with that. 
When my parents found out that I was preaching this text this week, they told me that verse 10 there was my mom's key verse when she was battling cancer. They said she said that or sang that out loud every day. Do not grieve. Do not be grieved. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. For whatever you might be going through today, or whatever you might go through in the future, remember these words. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Can we all say that together tonight? The joy of the Lord is my strength. Now, let's say that loud this time, all right? The joy of the Lord is my strength. Now, remember that verse, and remember that truth. Eat, drink, praise, be joyful. Share your portions with those who are in need. These are the elements of worship. And we find our greatest happiness and joy in him and in his truth. And this reminds me of the happiness series that we did together last fall. I don't know if it does you, but we dwelled in that characteristic of God and that characteristic of our lives as God's people. Amen? pretty awesome. So here we are again. Emotional worship comes first, but then spiritual renewal doesn't last with just emotions alone. Spiritual renewal doesn't last unless it affects our wills as well. Okay, so spiritual renewal lasts through willful worship, and that's what we see next in the text. Willful worship. Will is to choose to worship God. I will choose to worship God above all else. Let's see how they do it. Now, before I read verses 13 to 18, to set a little context, we're going to see that it's the second day now. The mass of people went home last night worshiping and celebrating, and they all come back. They all chose, out of their will, they chose to come back, every single one, and to hear more of the teaching of the word. So the first part of willful worship is to choose to come, to choose to come back. Choose to dwell in God's word. Let's look at verse 13. On the second day, the heads of fathers' house, houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law some more. They all came. Worship must be voluntary or it's worthless. You can't coerce somebody into worshiping. This is something we choose. Now these people craved spiritual renewal. And they were coming back to the Bible study. They were coming back to the service. You guys have to come if you want spiritual renewal. We have to be together in God's word, in his worship. And notice that the heads of the household were leading this way, leading the way. This is as it should be. God puts, this is why we're a family equipping church. What that means is the parents are the first and best disciples of their children not the church. We equip you to do the task that you've been called. Husbands and dads, God puts the biggest responsibility on you. Moms, grandparents as well. You're the disciples of your own home and the church equips you for that task. Now, so we see this as it should be. The heads of the households are leading and all the people come. And then what we see for spiritual renewal is to choose to discover the truth that's in God's word. Choose to discover God's truth. And this is what they did in verse 14. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel 
should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month. They're like, hey, it's the seventh month right now. So they had gotten to Leviticus 23, basically, is where Ezra was. And they hear these words that describe the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths. And they hadn't heard this before. But they said, well, this is interesting. So we're discovering, as you study this great big book, you always make new discoveries, don't you? And they change your life. So they needed to dwell in tabernacles or booths or tents. So let's talk about the Feast of Booths just for a few minutes here. This is what the people are discovering. And we're going to discover a little bit about it tonight, maybe. For the first time, they're discovering about this final of the seven feasts in the Old Testament feast system that had been around for centuries. The Feast of Booths or Tabernacles. And what you're supposed to do is dwelling in these tents for seven days is supposed to remind them of God's protection for them in the desert and his provision for them of a place to stay while they were wandering in the wilderness. That's what they were focusing on, okay? Protection from God, God's protection, and God's provision for them. Hold on to those words. And what you realize, or what they realize here, is that this feast was to be a family and community-oriented feast that lasted for seven days, and it was a party. Eating, and singing, and playing, and celebrating, and praying, and camping out in these tents for seven days. So I have a few pictures here to help us get our minds uh, figuring out what in the world this looked like. All right, let's look at these real quick. The first one is a drawing of what it might have looked like uh, at that time. We'll, we'll read the scripture in just a moment, but they had to gather up the leaves and make tents uh, all over. And so you see them making some here. Now the next picture is modern day urban uh, celebration of the Feast of Booths. See, they just throw up these booths, these tents, these shanties, uh, everywhere they are. And they spend the night out there seven nights and just party, basically, and worship God. So that's what it looks like in the urban setting. All right, look at the next picture. Some people get really fancy. I know some of you in this church would do that, definitely. It's cool. You can get, hey, let it go. Get as fancy as you want. Next one, uh, it's a community event. So here's a big one with the whole community getting together, having a good time. See the next one? Now, this is some of your styles. I hear the camping style. Okay? Now, I got some of your attention, don't I? This, this, is, this looks fun for me. Uh, and the next picture I call easy camping uh, method. <laughs> All right. That'd be probably my style right there. Put the palm branches uh, against the tent. <clears throat> now, as with all seven of the feasts, they were rich with symbolism. They all had meaning. And what they were discovering here, just listen to some of the symbolism in the, in the Feast of Booths. And what we know now on this side of the cross, 2,000 years after the Messiah Jesus came, we see how everything in the feast system pointed to Christ. Everything pointed to Jesus. And actually, the entire group of seven feasts all painted a complete picture of the life, the person, and the works of Jesus Christ. Now, if you want to discover something and learn something deep in Scripture, go after that. But here were some of the symbolisms in the Feast of Booths. The three branches bundled with a lemon represent the Trinity and God's sovereignty, and it pointed to the hope to be found in the Messiah, Jesus. The shouts of Hosanna during the feast gave the backdrop to Jesus' triumphal entry on Palm Sunday before his death and resurrection when everyone was shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, with the palms. It was this that gave the backdrop 
the anticipation of that moment. The word tabernacle literally means dwelling in tents. That's what tabernacle means. And these tents show us that Jesus is our tabernacle. How is that? John 1.14, it's a well-known verse, says that God, the Word, became flesh. That's Jesus. God became flesh and dwelt among us. Or literally, he tabernacled among us. He took on flesh. He took on this tent of skin and became one of us and dwelt among us. And he is our tabernacle. Now our protection and our provision are found in him. Amen? Amen, amen. There is no condemnation in him. He is our tabernacle. There's so much to discover in God's word. We will never exhaust it. It will only lead us to spiritual renewal as we dwell in it. They say Christianity is so simple that even the youngest child can comprehend and believe it, but so deep and rich that the greatest intellectual can spend a lifetime and never exhaust it. That's God's word. And so I challenge you to choose to give a significant portion of your life to being in the Word of God, whatever that looks like for you. Be devoted to your spiritual walk with Christ and becoming more and more holy and more alive in Him. And then it's not just about discovering the truths because if it just leaves it that, then that, that gives us pride that puffs up. No, it's about obeying it. That's what we have to do next. Choose to obey God's Word. Choose to obey. And we see the people, that's what they did. They only had a few days to get ready for this feast that they had just learned about for the first time in the reading of God's word. And they did it. Let's read verses 15 through 18. Verse 15. And that they should proclaim it and publish it in all of their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the square at the water gate and in the square at the gate of Ephraim. And all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity, all of them made booths and lived in the booths. For from the days of Yeshua or Joshua, the son of Nun, to that day, the people of Israel had not done so, not like this. That was in 900 years, the people of God had never partied like this. And day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law of God. They kept the feast seven days. And then we have a transition statement to next week's steps in our spiritual renewal. And on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the rule they continue to obey scripture. But that's for next week. Let me end by saying, the people were determined not to be hearers of the word only, but doers. And so they, so they obeyed. They obeyed what God said, make booths and live them for seven days. They did. You realize all these thousands of little shanties put up all over would have looked really ridiculous to the non-Jews that were all around them. But what is that all about? So why did they obey? Because they were people of God. What reason did they set up all those 
silly tents and booths to obey God, to worship God. God says build a booth, so we build a booth. God says do this or that or go here or there, so we do this or that. We go here or there. Our lives are his. God's people obeyed him completely and God gave them happiness. I can't explain it any other way and you know that this is true if you've experienced it, that when you do what is right and biblical and God-honoring, the Bible, it always works out and you're happy. Doesn't mean you're always healthy or wealthy, but you're happy and you're fulfilled in Jesus alone. And when you do what's wrong, you may feel autonomous and that's what the human nature wants, to be free from God and all authority. You may make millions of dollars, but deep inside you're empty and miserable ultimately. God's people obey him completely and God gives them happiness. It's a joyful renewal that can be ours today. And here are just a couple next steps that we can take today as a church, in your homes. Just real quick, let's go through these. The first is I commit, I commit to learn and apply God's word. There's a couple bullet points there. Write whatever you need to do in your life. Daily devotions or be better at attending church or get into a small group, those kind of things. The first actually bullet point that I have to suggest is the summer community opportunities. These are listed in the bulletin. If you open your bulletin, you've probably already seen this by now on the left side. Uh, all of our small groups and ministries, uh, most of them actually, are taking a well-deserved break. And summer gives a lot of new and unique opportunities to connect in God's word and God's, with God's people. So check that out. And follow the instructions. Some are still developing, and we need to know if you're interested to get them off the ground. So please check that out. Next, I wanted to tell you about the Southeastern University Partnership. I know it's been mentioned before, but maybe you haven't heard. We have a, Lake City has a partnership with a fully accredited university, Healthy, with their, saddle, their extension campus in Puyallup, offering a variety of Bible classes, accredited college degrees for a much lower than average cost, with internship opportunities here at the church. And so... You can note that on your card if you're interested in that. You know who you are if God's calling you to deeper Bible study and a deeper calling in his word. Next, I will commit my worship fully to the Lord. The first one there is trust and worship Jesus. In case you've never heard this, we are all born as worshipers. The thing is, we all worship ourselves first. We're self-worshippers. And the process of becoming alive and not spiritually condemned is to repent of that selfishness and self-dependence and self-worship and become alive by trusting and believing in Jesus. If you haven't done that today, I encourage you, I implore you to do that now. God has done the work and Jesus calls you to make him your Lord of your life and he will give you life, peace, abundant life, all the things Salvation from your sin. Do that today and come up and pray with us if you'd like after the service. Uh, the next is talk to God and listen to him every day. Hey, we're busy Americans with a lot of entertainment, a lot of screens. Choose right now to commit. Lord, I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to commune with you every day. Every day. Go ahead and commit that to him. And then I added the next, the last bullet point. Trans, the Transform Initiative, because I can't help but see the parallel here between Nehemiah and what our church is going through right now. This is a historical time in Lake City's history. The Jews rebuilt their physical and their spiritual infrastructure here in this text, in this book. 
They rebuilt and they renewed, and that's exactly what we're doing at Lake City. We have old buildings. We have full services. We're doing a responsible stewardship by expanding, maximizing our acreage here to be a bigger base for missions, to be a bigger um, uh, place where this community can be ministered to and reached and provided for. We're looking at planting churches in the future. This is called the Transform Initiative. I don't know if you knew this, but there was demolition, demolition began last week downstairs. Now that's exciting. And there is something for everybody to do. Pray, you know, give generously, be a part of the construction work, whatever. This is for all of us. We can do this together. This is the church that God's called you to be a part of. Let's, let's serve his mission together. Let's close in prayer and see what God does uh, with us from here. Lord God, in closing, uh, we read these great accounts in this insane history of your Old Testament chosen people as your new covenant chosen people, the church. And I just pray that you'll connect and identify exactly where we are in our lives right now and how we can have that spiritual renewal, that comfort, peace, and joy in our lives. Lead us to where you want us to go, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.